Well, good morning. It is a pleasure to be with you this morning to join in this time to study God's Word. And I would bring you greetings from the saints of Pyeongtaek. We are doing well, standing in God's grace, trusting in His providential work for our small congregation. And I would have you know that we are praying for you as well and praying for your leaders, praying for the members of your church there, trusting that God is using you in the advancement of His kingdom in Seoul to fulfill the purposes and will that He has for you, all to the glory of our King Jesus. And this morning, I would ask you to turn with me to the book of Proverbs, the book of Proverbs. We will be looking at Proverbs chapter 2. I greatly admire the book of Proverbs for various reasons, and I especially like this second proverb because in it we see King Solomon commending the pursuit of wisdom to his son. And Solomon is not giving him a good idea. He's not giving him something he had just thought of. He's not giving, something, uh, giving him something that he had just re- recently come across. Solomon is speaking to his son from testimony. We know, I will remind you, in Second Chronicles chapter 1, when God put Solomon as king over Israel, our Lord came to Solomon in that seventh verse, and it says that in that night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, ask what I shall give you. Essentially opening the door to Solomon, giving him what we might call a blank check to ask for anything at all. Solomon responded to the Lord and said in verses 9 and 10, You have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me now wisdom and knowledge. And the Bible says in verse 12 that God granted wisdom and knowledge to Solomon. When Solomon had the opportunity to ask God for anything in the world, Solomon chose wisdom and knowledge. And now in this second proverb, we see the king giving his son that same advice, that same encouragement to pursue wisdom. And we know that wisdom and knowledge is the key to spiritual life. It's necessary for spiritual growth. If you look in the New Testament, in 2 Peter chapter 1, you will see in the first 11 verses, Peter laying out seven principles for spiritual growth. Seven principles that when applied to one's life and increasing in one's life leads a person to be useful and fruitful for the Lord. And amongst that list in verse 5, it says to add to your faith moral excellence or courage and add to your courage knowledge. Peter commending his reader to add knowledge to his or her life. Paul had that same view about the importance of wisdom and knowledge. If you look at the letters that Paul writes to the churches, in each of the introductions, we see him reference knowledge. To the Colossians in chapter 1, verse 9, he says that he prayed that they would be filled with knowledge of his will and understanding. To the Philippians, Paul says in chapter 1, verse 9, that he prayed that their love would abound in all discernment, and knowledge. And then to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says that he thanks God that they were enriched in knowledge. In each instant, Paul referencing 
knowledge and understanding for the churches. And if you want a good prayer request for our church and a good prayer request for any church, pray that they would be filled with God's knowledge. In the oldest book in the Bible, the book of Job, we see twice in chapter 28 the question, where can wisdom be found? So wisdom is crucial to our spiritual lives. We cannot grow without it. We cannot live righteous lives before our God without it. And thankfully, that question twice asked in the book of Job, that 28th chapter, where can wisdom be found is answered for us in this second proverb. So join me now as I read Proverbs chapter 2. We're going to look at the first eight verses, and I'll be reading out of the New American Standard Bible. Solomon writes, My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He's a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice, and he preserves the way of his godly ones. Join me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we come to you in the name of our Lord and King Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have made Jesus the foundation for your church. We thank you that he is our cornerstone, that he is the head of our body. And Lord, we thank you for your amazing plan to redeem man by the blood of Jesus. We thank you that you have paid for the sins of your people in full by the work of Jesus Christ. We thank you this day for offering to us wisdom and knowledge that you freely give to your people, to those who ask. Help us this day to align our hearts and minds to these words of Solomon. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So this morning we are going to look at this important topic, this important chapter in the book of Proverbs, the pursuit of wisdom. How do we acquire wisdom and knowledge. And just as we read a moment ago, this is what Solomon addresses with his son. So for the next few moments, we're going to look at this idea of acquiring wisdom. The title of this message could be The Pursuit of Wisdom, and the outline would be simple. In the first four verses, verses one through four, we see the means to an end, the means to an end. Then in verses five and six, we see an amazing promise. And in verses 7 and 8, we see the reason for God's goodness or the reason that God gives wisdom. So let's start in these first four verses and look at the means to an end, gaining discernment and knowledge. Now, you may have noticed as I read through here, there's a series of if statements. If these things are true, then this is the outcome. You'll notice in verse 1, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments. Verse 3, if you cry for discernment lift, and lift your voice for understanding. Verse 4, if you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures. Three times he says, if you will do this, then, verse 5, you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. So it's an if-then statement. If these things are true, then this will occur. 
You may notice there's also a then in verse 9. We will not discuss that this morning. We'll only get through these first eight verses. So let's look at the first if statement in verse 1. Solomon writes, my son. This is a father writing to his son. This is a teacher writing to a student. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you. Receive. If you will take these words. If you will accept these words. If you will carry these words. It entails possession. If you will take and possess these words. Not just to take and possess but also to treasure. He says, if you will treasure my commandments. This means to hide or to carefully keep. It implies reserving. If you will receive these words and treasure these commandments within you, it's given the idea of taking and hiding and possessing. Solomon is encouraging here something more than a duty. He's commending to his son to take these words, secure them, and own them. Reminds me of the psalmist in Psalm 119, verse 11, where he writes, Thy word have I treasured in my heart. I've taken your word, I've put it in my heart, and there I treasure it and I cherish it. Solomon is talking about possession. And we see that because notice what he does in verse 1. Solomon says, If you will receive my words, and if you will treasure my commandments. Now, I already referenced in 2 Chronicles 1, we see that God granted Solomon wisdom and knowledge. This is God's wisdom and God's knowledge. Solomon has received it. He took possession of it. He's lived it throughout his life, and now he calls it my, my words and my commandments. John MacArthur, the preacher and Bible commentator, writes of this, quote, Solomon has taken God's law and made it his own by faith and obedience, end quote. God's truth was personal to Solomon. It wasn't just wisdom and knowledge for wisdom and knowledge's sake. No, it meant much more to him than that. And I would add as well in this first verse, what we see here is there, there must be a readiness to receive. And that's what we see. There must be an understanding of the need for wisdom and knowledge. That's why Solomon says, if you will do this, there must be an understanding of a willingness required to do this, to receive and to treasure. If you are willing to do this, then receive and treasure. But it's more than a willingness because we see in verse 2, action is required. In verse 2, Solomon writes to his son and to us that if you're going to receive and if you're going to treasure, then make your ear attentive and incline your heart to understanding. The first thing he said here is make your ear attentive. That is to prick your ears or hearken your ears. It means get ready to listen to the Lord. Prepare to hear, prepare to receive. We might say to go, in, to go into receive mode. Prepare yourself to listen to the Lord. There's an intentionality here. There, it's, a, it's purposeful. It's deliberate. Receiving and treasuring doesn't happen by accident. It's not by happenstance. We are to direct our attention and focus if we are going to receive the words and commandments of the Lord. You'll notice it's not just the ears that are involved here, but also the heart. Solomon 
states here, incline your heart to understanding. To incline means to stretch out. It means to reach for. The heart is to reach for understanding, to stretch out for it. It gives me the impression as if grabbing after something. Have your heart grab after or long for understanding. Why the heart? The heart is the center of man. The heart is the center of thinking and reasoning. We might say it's the center of our being. The heart drives one's thoughts and affections and behaviors. We see this play out really well in Proverbs chapter 4. Flip over one page with me in your Bibles. Proverbs chapter 4, we're going to see here Solomon again writing to his sons. And he specifically says in verses 20 through 23, that he specifically talks about the heart. Notice what he says in verse 20. My son... Give attention to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Very similar language that we saw in in chapter 2. Do not let them depart from your sight. In other words, the words and sayings, keep them in front of your eyes. Keep them forever within your focus. He says in verse 21, keep them in the midst of your heart. Center them in your heart and keep them there. Why is this so important? Verse 22, for they are life to those who find them. They are health to the body. And he goes on in verse 23 to say, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. In other words, the life of a man, what he thinks and what he does and how he acts, it springs from one's heart. So Solomon here says to diligently watch your heart. Flipping back to chapter 2, that's why Solomon encourages his son to incline your heart. Have your heart desire and stretch out for and long for understanding. Understanding is the object of the longing here. Understanding is the object of what our hearts are to be inclined to. And what is understanding? It's more than just accumulating knowledge. Understanding is referring to an intelligence. It involves comprehension. It involves reasoning. One cannot apply God's truth apart from understanding. We can't apply what we do not understand. So the goal here is not the accumulation of facts. Rather, the goal is understanding so that we can apply what we learn and produce righteous lives and Christ-like behavior. Solomon would say, To acquire wisdom is to make it a personal mission. Be willing to accept, be willing to receive and treasure and be ready to listen and lean your heart out for understanding. Next in verse 3, he would say, pray for it. If you had to summarize verse 3 in one word, the word would be prayer. Seek wisdom through prayer. We see, he says in verse 3 here, to cry for discernment and lift your voice for understanding. So there's not only a willingness and a readiness, there seems to be more. There seems here to be a sense of urgency, a recognition of a need. So now he's commending his son to cry for discernment and to lift out his voice for it. To cry for discernment, it means to call forth to call out, and the object is discernment. Discernment refers to insight. It refers to meaning. It's the ability to judge. 
It's literally the ability to separate mentally, to distinguish. It gives us the capacity to determine truth, to determine right from wrong. Solomon here is encouraging his son to plead for the wisdom that would allow him to accurately determine God's truth, to cry out for this ability to pray for it. The appeal to understand God's spiritual things. He adds in verse 3, to lift your voice for understanding. That is to give your voice for it. Use your voice for this. Use your voice to call out for understanding. With our heart, we are to long for and stretch out for and reach for understanding. And with our voice now, we are to use it to call out to God for it. The picture here is someone calling out, searching for help, looking for a response in time of need. Call out for, raise one's voice for. When I read this, I can't help but think of the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. You'll recall in that second verse of that chapter, Peter writes, Like newborn babies... Long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Peter uses an analogy there to describe how a believer ought to long for God's word. And the analogy that he uses is an infant. Not just an infant, but a newborn infant. And what do we know about newborn infants in milk? It's their greatest desire. It's literally their only desire. When an infant is seeking the mother's milk, there is a loud, unrelenting cry. You know that the infant is seeking it. And that impatient sense of hunger will continue and continue until that first drop of milk touches that infant's tongue, at which point there's perfect contentment. Anyone that's been around a child has seen that. Peter is stating that is to be the believer's attitude toward longing for God's milk, just the way that infant does so, longing for God's word, rather, just the way that infant does for milk. And here in Proverbs chapter 2, we see Solomon stating that with that longing, use that voice to cry out, to cry out just like we would expect that infant to do so. This is how you cry out to God for what you seek. So Solomon's direction here is to cry out to God for prayer and and ask for this ability to discern and gain understanding. So in these first three verses, what we see that Solomon is stating here is there needs to be this willingness to act. There, There needs to be a willingness to respond to receive. And then there's the readiness to listen and, and, and to place our heart in such a way that it longs for God's understanding. And then we cry out to God for discernment and use our voice in prayer to ask for that. Now, if that's all that Solomon gave, the message would be clear. We would understand that we need to seek this and cry out for it. But what he does in verse 4, I think, is extremely helpful because the level of effort that a person is going to put into those first three verses is going to equal the value that he or she places on wisdom. So Solomon in verse 4 sets that value for us. He tells us in that fourth verse that we're to seek for wisdom and discernment and understanding as if it were silver. We're to search for it as if it were hidden treasures. And in doing so, he's communicating to us the value with regards to wisdom. 
He's helping us to determine the amount of effort that we should put into the pursuit of it. To what extent should we search for it and seek it? The way men do silver and hidden treasures. Now, how do men seek after wealth? How do they seek after silver and hidden treasures? Men will practically do anything for wealth. Matthew Henry, the great Puritan commentator, writes, quote, Those who will be rich rise up early and sit up late and turn every stone to get money and fill their treasures. Matthew Henry is absolutely right. That, I believe, captures correctly the effort and the desire that Solomon is encouraging here. Search. It means, I'm sorry, seek. It means to search, to search out. Uh, The implication when you say seek her as silver is that there's a striving for it. At one point in time, silver was the standard. Silver was the most cherished possession. Nations' economies ran off of silver. It was a sought-after commodity. Men painfully worked for it. To find it, they had to mine and excavate rocks and soil. It was hard work, and men did it in their pursuit of silver. And Solomon says to seek after wisdom the way men sought after that silver. And likewise, search as for hidden treasures. It's the same principle. Search after hidden treasures, not revealed, not those that are easily observable, not those that you can find when you're just walking nonchalantly along the path. No, hidden treasures, searching for hidden treasures, connotates here a significant effort to locate and find And the point Solomon's making here in verse 4 is just that. Wisdom is of tremendous value, and we are to put maximum effort into seeking and searching for it. Now, how might this practically look? How might it look to practically search after wisdom? How might it look to seek after wisdom? I've got a few things I put down here that I would submit to you for your consideration. How do we seek after and search after wisdom? The first thing I would say, and by far the most important, it's the reading of God's Word, the study of God's Word, being consistently and persistently studying God's Word. I love what Pastor Steve Lawson says. We don't go to the Word like a skier skis over the top of the snow. We go to the Word like a scuba diver. We find one spot and we dig deep and we search around for that which cannot be found at the surface. We are to go to God's word as a scuba diver dives the seas. Jonathan Edwards, the American theologian, certainly believed that. He's well known for his resolutions that he made at a young age. And one of those resolutions focuses on this concept of studying the word in Intensely. He writes, resolved to study scriptures so steadily, constantly, and frequently as that I may find myself to grow in the knowledge of the same. End quote. He had the idea in practice that Solomon is encouraging here to his son in this second Proverbs. Edwards writes to his readers and says, quote, be assiduous 
In reading the Holy Scriptures, this is the fountain whence all knowledge in divinity must be derived. End quote. So reading God's word, Solomon would commend that as if searching and seeking for silver. Secondly, on top of reading God's word, and I would say a distant second, but equally as, as important, is to, is to complement your Bible study by listening to other godly men. Listen to men from your pulpit. Listen to men what they are teaching you. Understand what they're teaching you. Question them. Try to understand what led them to the conclusions that they had. Wrestle with that text. Learn from godly men. We know that God appoints teachers for this purpose. And then I would say to read books by godly saints. Read books from saints of old, those that have gone before us. Read books by saints that we have alive in our, in our time today. But find teachers and find authors that are clearly and accurately explaining God's word. And fourthly and lastly, another practical point that I would suggest here is to learn together, share with one another Pass on God's truth that you learn to someone else near you. Study together. Study with another person. Study in a group. As you acquire wisdom, share it with others. As others are learning, let them share with you what they've learned. Use every avenue to learn from God's word. I believe this is what the author of Hebrews had in mind in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, when he writes, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together. We often use that verse as as a um, motivation to come together and meet on Sundays, which it no doubt is that, but I think it goes beyond that because if we're gonna stimulate one another to love and good deed constantly, then there's day-to-day interaction that's required. Have that interaction be over God's word. Just some practical ways that perhaps we could seek after and search after God's wisdom. And after these first four verses, we see the means to acquiring wisdom. We identify the need, we prepare our ear, and we prepare our heart, and we ask God through prayer, and then we diligently seek and search. The greatest part of this text is perhaps in that next verse. All the effort that's put into the first four verses is not at risk. The effort in the first four verses, there is a certainty as to the outcome. It is guaranteed. Your labor and my labor will never be in vain when we're pursuing wisdom. Look at verse 5, an amazing promise. Solomon says, if you will receive, if you will cry out, if you will seek and search, then... Verse 5, you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. You will. Your work and your effort is rewarded. Discernment and knowledge are guaranteed. It is promised. He says you will discern and you will discover the knowledge of God. There's a twofold benefit here. Let's look at these. First, the first certainty. You will discern the fear of the Lord. God grants us discernment. As I mentioned earlier, discernment is the ability to separate in our minds. It means to distinguish. And the promise here is if you search for wisdom, then you will be able to distinguish, to discern the fear of the Lord. 
you will be able to properly identify what it means to fear the Lord. The book of Proverbs, one of the overarching themes in the book of Proverbs is the fear of the Lord. How do we fear the Lord genuinely and authentically? This is vitally important for our, in, in our day with the many distorted views about God that are prevalent. But Solomon here promises, if you will search for wisdom, then you will discern the fear of the Lord. What does fear mean? Well, it doesn't mean to be afraid, though that's part of it. Fear here deals with a reverence. It deals with respect. We could say in awe or, or, or esteem. So the correct reverence, respect, and awe comes with wisdom. And as a result, it creates in our lives devotion and obedience to God. It creates a submissive attitude toward God. If you want a greater reverence for God, if you want to respect God more, if you want to be more devoted to our Lord, then ask God for wisdom. If you ask for wisdom and seek for it, the promise is you will discern it. Secondly, in verse 5, Solomon says that you will discover the knowledge of God. You will discover. It will, it will become observable. It will appear. That's what discover means, it, to come forth or to appear. God's knowledge will be observed by you. If you seek and search for wisdom, you acquire the knowledge of God, God's knowledge, his knowledge. His knowledge is superior to all other knowledge. His knowledge is superior to all the ideas of man and the knowledge of man, even godly men. His knowledge, when received and provided to us, teaches us all we need to know about God. With God's knowledge, we know what God says about himself. With God's knowledge, we know what God thinks and says about man and man's sin. With God's knowledge, we know what God thinks and says about salvation and man's needs. With God's knowledge, we know what God says about the requirement for righteous living and to be conformed to the image of Christ. With God's knowledge, we know what God says about his glory and how we glorify him and how we enjoy him forever. In short, with God's knowledge, we know his character as he has revealed it to us. And the more we know about the character of God, the more we understand about the reality of who we are. So to know God, to live righteously, we want this knowledge, the knowledge of God. And when we seek and search for wisdom, you will not be disappointed. You gain the discernment to know what honors God, and you gain the knowledge of God revealed from our Lord's very mind. This is what Solomon is offering to his son in Proverbs chapter 2. This is what God is offering us through Solomon's words as well. Why the certainty that we will gain discernment and knowledge? Why is this such a guarantee? Solomon tells his son and us, verse 6, for the Lord gives wisdom, right? If you tie this in with verse 5, if you search, then you will discern and you will discover the knowledge of God for, here's the reason, the Lord gives wisdom. Our God is a God who gives wisdom. He provides it. He provides it from his immeasurable wealth of wisdom. I'll remind you what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 11 verse 33. 
Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Paul stood in amazement at the vastness of God's wisdom. Nothing and no one compares to our God's wisdom and knowledge. And it is from that that he gives those who seek wisdom. You can't help but think about James chapter 1 when you read, For the Lord gives wisdom. I'm going to ask you here briefly to turn with me back to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, the Lord's brother James writes something very similar to what we see here in Proverbs 2, 6. James chapter 1, we're going to read verses 5 and 6, and I will tell you within the context of what James is writing, he's talking about suffering. He's talking about when you're experiencing a trial, if you ask God for wisdom, he will give it to you. But the principle is the same. James is telling us that those who seek wisdom get it. So notice with me here verses 5 and 6 of James chapter 1. James writes, But if any of you lack wisdom... Let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. So what do we learn from James there that can help us in understanding what Solomon is talking to us about in Proverbs chapter 2? Well, what we learn from James is that God gives wisdom. That's James' point as well as Solomon's point. And how does God give wisdom, according to James? Not sparingly, not meagerly. God gives wisdom generously, bountifully. He liberally gives wisdom. And what does James say is required? James says, but to ask of God. It's what Solomon says in Proverbs 2. Cry out to the Lord. Lift up your voice. And as James says... When we do so, what does God do? He gives it freely to his people. As long as we ask in faith. That's the importance, if you go back to Proverbs chapter 2 now, that's the importance of verse 5. Asking in faith. Verse 5 is a guarantee that if we seek wisdom, we will get it. You will discern and you will discover the knowledge. So we can confidently go to God in prayer and say, Lord, you have promised both in Proverbs chapter 2 and James chapter 1 that if we ask wisdom of you, you will give it to us. And we can confidently pray that and know that God responds. You can pray that and know that God has wisdom without measure. You can pray that and know that it is his will that you go to him and ask for it. And you can pray that and know that he responds liberally, providing wisdom to those who ask in faith. He has promised this to us. You notice not only does the Lord give wisdom in verse 6, but it says, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. It is from his mouth that we have the scriptures before us. The Bible is clear. Though men are inspired by God and write it, the truth contained in God's word is from God. If you read throughout the Old Testament, hundreds of times you will see the same phrase, thus says the Lord. God wrote the Old Testament. You come to the New Testament and we see that Paul told Timothy that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Peter adds that there's no prophecy of Scripture that was ever given by 
human will. You can rest assured that the Bible is indeed from the Lord's mouth. And that's what Solomon is pointing out in verse 6. The wisdom that God gives us comes from his knowledge and understanding, or God's knowledge and understanding uh, comes from his mouth. A magnificent promise, a comforting promise. Again, it's one that you can go to God in prayer for. You can go to God in prayer with. So we've seen the means to an end, and we've seen this amazing promise. Finally, quickly here, I would draw your attention to verses 7 and 8. And we see the reason for God's giving of wisdom. Or you could say the reason for the benefit that God graciously gives us when he gives us wisdom. You could say it's the proof that God will give us wisdom. Notice what he says in verse 7 and 8. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He's a shield to those who walk in integrity. And then in verse 8, he'll describe how God is a shield. But before we look at that, notice in verse 7, who is this for? Who receives the benefit of gaining this wisdom? The benefits are for the upright and for those who walk in integrity. The promise is directed at specific individuals. It's promised to those who have been blessed with the grace of God. It's promised to those who know God. We would say it's promised to true believers or genuine converts. It's for the upright and those who walk in integrity. The upright and those who are well-pleasing to God in Jesus. And notice what God does for them. Firstly, in verse 7. It says he stores up sound wisdom. He stores it up. He lays it up. He, he, he puts it away. He, he hides it. I, I think of a treasure I think of a storehouse, rather, in which God is just accumulating wisdom, ready for his use, ready so that he can give it out freely whenever he likes to whomever he likes. God's sound wisdom is on hand and readily available. God is prepared, well prepared, to deliver wisdom to his people. Secondly, it says that he's a shield. He's a shield to those who walk in integrity. God is a shield. That's, God is a, a defender. He's a protector. This is who God is. This is his nature. He defends and protects those who belong to him, his people. You could start back at the book of Genesis and just walk through the Old Testament and you'll see that the scripture says that God is a shield to Abraham and God is a shield to David. God is a shield to the nation of Israel. And in fact, in Psalms Psalm 18, verse 30, it says that God is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Yes, our God is a defender. He is a, he is a um, protector of us. He is our shield. And the implication here, I would suggest to you, when you look at this entire chapter, the implication is that God is a shield to us and guards us, verse 8, and preserves us, verse 8, and the way he does so is by giving us his wisdom. The entire chapter deals with wisdom. And verse 8 shows how he does this, what he uses wisdom to do. And that is to guard and preserve. You can see this play out beautifully at the second half of this chapter. I'll just point your attention to this. How does God guard us? 
How does God preserve us? How is he our shield? He gives us wisdom. And now look, if you look down in verse 12 through 15, it says that he delivers us from the evil one. He delivers us from the man who has, from the men rather, who have forsaken the righteous way and enjoy evil. God delivers us from them because he guards our paths. You'll notice in verse 16, if you, if you read verse 16 through 19, it says that God delivers us from the adulteress, from the adulteress, the one who has forgotten her covenant with God. God delivers us from these. This is how he guards our path and preserves our way. When it says that he guards our path of justice, it means he guards the way in which we walk justly. He keeps us on the right path. He prevents us from stumbling. When it says that he preserves the way of his godly ones, it means he, he puts a shield of protection. He hedges around, a, 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 a hedge of safety around his people. Reminds me of the accusation that Satan brought to God over Job when Satan said, you've placed this hedge of protection around him. And Satan was absolutely right. God had done that. The only way that Satan could ever interfere with Job's life was by the permission of God. God shields his people. And again, I would suggest to you that within the context of this passage, God shields us, he guards us and preserves us by giving us his wisdom. Baptist pastor John Gill writes, quote, none of God's people will ever perish. He preserves our way to the eternal kingdom and glory, end quote. That's what God does. He shields his people. So this is Solomon's argument for pursuing wisdom, a convincing argument, I would suggest. Wisdom, and when we talk about wisdom, we're talking about discernment and understanding and knowledge, all that accompany wisdom. Wisdom is available, and that is so Important to us because wisdom is critical to our spiritual life and it is needed for spiritual growth. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, encouraged his son to pursue wisdom. He presented him with a means to an end. How do we pursue wisdom? We must be willing to receive it. We must acknowledge our need for it and then be in prayer for it. We, we, we turn our ears to listen for God's word and we, 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 we align our hearts to seek for God's understanding. And if you do those three things, adding the seeking and the searching for it, then the promise is you will discern his reverence. You will discern how to be devoted to the Lord. And you will discover God's knowledge, the knowledge that God has revealed about himself. And Why? Because our gracious God has a storehouse full of wisdom that he freely dispenses from, and he's a shield guarding and protecting those that are his. Wisdom is available. May we be persistent in seeking after it. Let's pray.